This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week's Parsha ends the book of Vayikra on a phenomenal note. We have uh, the incredible blessings, the wonderful bounty and uh, which God is going to bestow upon us if we are to keep the commandments. And conversely, we hear of the dreadful curses in B'chukotai Timasu et Mishpatai Tigal Nafshechem Vil Kol If you don't keep the commands, then we will suffer rack and ruin we will suffer national collapse and exile. And therefore, uh, we are playing for very high stakes here as we open Parashat Pukotai and we um, engage in what we call the Tochacha, the rebuke. Uh, in fact, in many shuls you will find that the Chazan will read the blessings uh, loudly and the curses quietly as if to uh, say, well, this is what we want. And this is what we are fearful of. This is what we should not want. Um, how do we relate to the content of the Tochacha? Is this simply a series of incentives and penalties? Um, let's do a little bit of investigating as to what we have here. I'm going to start with a comment of the Ibn Ezra, try and substantiate it, and then raise a few questions. The Ibn Ezra says uh, something interesting. I'm reading from his comments to uh, Pasuk um, Pasuk Yudgimel. And he says the following Verike Moach Amru Kiakalot Rabot Mihabrachot. The people who are empty headed, he says, would say that the curses are greater than the blessings, Velo Amru Emet, but they didn't speak the truth. Rakne emruha brachot klal. The blessings are said in a more generic form. Vne emru beklalot pratim. And the curses are specified, are made explicit. Liare ulahavchid hashomim. And this is to frighten um, and to instill fear in the in the listener. Vahamistakel heitev yitbarer lo duvari. If you look carefully, you will appreciate what I'm saying. The Ibn Ezra is relating to the fact that when you look at the verses, when you look at the structure of the parsha, the length of the brachot, the brachot extend for ten psukim in length, and uh, when you look at the curses, we have something approximating uh, thirty psukim, and therefore, by clear mathematical genius equation, uh, we realize that the curse is actually number of three times the length of the of the blessings. And uh, therefore one might say that this is uh, stacked against us, that the deck is stacked against us because uh, if we're good, so we get uh, ten verses of goodness and the and the, if we don't behave, then look, thirty verses. Um Ezra says that's not true. He says, look at the Psukim carefully, you will see that is is exactly the same. However, he says that the reason why the curses are longer in length is simply um, we know human nature and we need to scare people 
because God wants us to follow the Torah and to get the blessing, he bumps up and he expands the penalties to such a point that it will it will frighten us and it will act as a deterrent. To a certain degree, I think the Ibn Ezra is 100% correct. Let me give an example, a few examples to show you that we have perfect corollaries in the blessings and the curses. I'll look at Pasuk Gimel. I will give them their rain in the correct time. The land will give its produce and the trees of the field will give their fruit. You find exactly the reverse phrase, which is that if you don't listen to me, um, instead of I will give you the rain in its correct time, it will be I will close up the heavens, they will be like metal. And he says, Your land will not give its produce. And uh, the trees will not give forth their fruit. Um, a second example. He says, uh, God says, I will take wild animals away from the, the, the land. In other words, in the homestead, in your field, you will not be attacked by wild animals. In the curses, I will send the animals to attack you. Um, another example, we'll give two more. For example, the the sword will not pass through your land in verse uh, 6. But if you look in the curses, it says, that uh, you will get the sword. Or a few others, for example, um, he says, um, in the in the brachot, he says, v'natati mishkani batochachem v'lotigal nafshi etchem. I will put my Mishkan amongst you. I will put my Mishkan in your midst. And I will not be, if you want, uh, disgusted with you. Um, however, we see exactly the opposite um, in, 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 in the curses. First of all, we see the idea that um, the Mikdash will be destroyed. We talk about the idea that... Um, I'll destroy your cities. I will destroy your um, your mikdash. In other words, rather than having a temple, we will now find our mikdash destroyed. And it's not only that uh, that God says He will find us distasteful. That instead of God says, "I will find you um, disgusting." So we have a perfect symmetry and. This would seem to substantiate what the Ibn Ezra said. Some people would argue with this, and they will say the following: that this is it's actually not true. When you look at the um, when you look at the curses, the curses ex- express five different stages of uh, deterioration. Look carefully at the psukim between uh, verse fourteen onwards, and uh, you will see that the curses take place in incremental stages. In the first stage, if you don't listen to the mitzvot, then what will I do? And he talks about the behalah, shachefet, kadachat, all sorts of illnesses that will afflict us. And um, in the next stage, it says, and if you don't listen to me more, then I will punish you sevenfold. That's in verse 80. And then 
Once again, in Pasuk Chavalaf, in Telchuimi Keri, if you still don't listen to me, I'm going to punish you another sevenfold. And uh, once again, in uh, in verse 23, And I will smite you sevenfold. Each time he's notching it up with a sevenfold increase. And in fact, what we see here is um, five rounds uh, of deterioration. In other words, if you don't listen to me, I'll make it worse. If you don't listen to me, I'll make it worse. Um, so that we get, we, we get uh, five different stages of increased or spiraling into worse and worse stages of national ruin, of um, a deterioration, a deteriorating condition, until we experience total destruction and exile. That is the way that the curses work. Do the blessings work in the same way? The blessings seem to be entirely different. When you look at the brachot, we just get a long list of everything that will happen. And uh, one of the interesting questions is whether this list is similarly um, hierarchied, whether there is a sort of incremental stage-by-stage process which is being followed when uh, we're dealing with the brachot. When you initially look at it, you don't get that sense. You wonder whether that's really true. However, Rav David Svi Hoffman says, a 19th century German commentator Rav David Svi Hoffman, he actually claimed that the Ibn Ezra was entirely correct. And that in fact, uh, even in the blessings, there is uh, a, a process going on. There is a story, there is a narrative which is being described. And let me try and uh, elaborate what's, what's going on here. He's claiming that we're moving in an upward direction, stage by stage. Let's take a look. The first stage is in If you listen to my statutes and my laws, what does God say? I will give you your rain in its correct time, and the land will give its produce, and the trees will give its fruit. In other words, the first stage is agricultural prosperity. In fact, um, what is described in Pasuk Hayyim um, it describes the story of the agriculture of Eretz Yisrael. Um, in Israel, the period that we're now in, in the spring between Pesach and Shavuot, is the grain harvest. However, uh, later on in the year, in sort of uh, August, August, beginning of September, is the grape harvest. What he says is, um, the Daesh will last till the Batshitzir, and the Batshitzir will last till the Zara, which means the following, that you will be involved in your grain, which is uh, cut, let's say, in uh, in May, May, maybe June, and then you will be processing your your grain all the way through till the midsummer, um, until you need to start with your wine. The, the crop will be so abundant, the produce will be so um, incredible in its yield, you will be have to be processing your grain all the way through till August, and then you'll be dealing with your grapes and you'll be turning them into wine all the way till the Zara, all the way till Cheshvan, Kislev, where you, November, when the rains come and when you have to sow your fields. So the first uh, blessing is one of agricultural success, which obviously indicates national prosperity, and that's why it says, you'll be secure in your land, you'll be secure because economically things will be good. So that's stage one. Stage two, 
V'natati shalom ba'aret v'shachavtem ve'imachari. There'll be no fear. The initial stage here is fear on the home front, where um, what is mentioned here is chayara'a, wild animals. In other words, um, until the land of Israel is densely settled, there are wild animals we know from many stories in Tanakh about bears and lions in the land of Israel, be it from the story of King David or the stories of Shimshon, stories of Elisha. Um, bears and lions attack people. So if you're out in your field and you're scared the whole time, uh, that's not very good. The other thing is that we shouldn't be invaded by war. So the home front will be secure. That's Pasuk Vav. But in Pasuk Zion and Chet, verse 7 and 8, we see a further stage, stage 3. And that is that we will have military success, and it would seem like military success beyond our borders. The phrase used uh, a number of times is Varadfu, you will pursue the enemy. It seems like you'll pursue the enemy into their territory. You will take the danger from, from your borders and take it over into the enemy territory so that nothing will harm you, but in fact you will expand your borders and uh, everybody will, will leave you alone. The the next interesting stage is uh, Pasuk Tet and Yud, because Pasuk Tet and Yud sort of things to, takes, notches things up a, a higher level. I'll read the line. I will turn to you, I will make you numerous, and, and I will multiply you. What seems to happen here is a huge population expansion. Um, we'll come back to this population expansion soon. And It seems here that the agriculture is going wild. Here what they're saying is, what the Pasuk is saying, is that you won't even be able to finish this year's produce before the next one needs to be put into the storehouse. In other words, you will have boom years. Things are, we have a blessing of God's special care and attention. Um, huge population growth, huge economic prosperity. In other words, the country is really at a high. And in the final stage, is a spiritual stage. I will walk amongst you, says God. Sorry, I missed out a passage. I will place my sanctuary amongst you. I will walk amongst you. I will be for you as a God. There's a sense of, of togetherness between God and Israel. Rav David Zvi says that just like there are five levels of deterioration, there are incremental levels of blessing. And we move up the levels, first agricultural prosperity, then we have internal peace, then military success beyond our borders, then a booming economy, a booming home front, and then ultimately reaching sort of a spiritual togetherness with God. So we really gain the sense with the Ibn Ezra that uh, these blessings and these curses are the same. Maybe the curses are given wider coverage to act as a deterrent, but there is some sort of equality. I say that uh, I say that with a sense of doubt because I will mention one disparity which strikes me as uh, as clear. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, in the blessings it says, uh, you will defeat your enemies, or you will chase your enemy and they will fall before you in battle. And it gives us some ratios. It says, Five people will pursue a hundred, and a hundred will pursue ten thousand. Now, I'm not going to get involved in the ratios between five and a hundred and a hundred and ten thousand, but the sense is that 
that a small number are pursuing a much larger number. However, in the curses, we get a much worse uh, prediction. It says, uh, You will be filled with dread. You will be pursued by the sound of a falling leaf. You will, you will flee from the sword and fall and nobody will be chasing you. You will stumble one on the other, Jew on Jew. Nothing will raise you up. The curse here is, is much worse than the blessing. In the blessing we defeat our enemies um, and uh, five are pursuing a hundred or a hundred, ten thousand but here Nobody's chasing us. We're running and nobody's chasing us. So there is still work to do as to the degree of symmetry. One could put this down once again to the Ibn Ezra's point that uh, God is trying to frighten us. Whichever way, uh, when we look at the Parsha, we can see this uh, amazing blessing and this, uh, and this curse. After having established the sort of framework here, I'd like to go into one particular topic and use it to take a wider look at Sefer Vayikra as well. And I think the thing which is going to uh, enter us into this discussion is an enigmatic comment by Rashi um, on the blessings. One of the fra- phrases here is, uh, um, God, God says in, in verse 12 in Pasukud Bet, B'italachti batochachem I will walk amongst you and I will be for you as a God but you will be my people. Here's Rashi's comment. I will walk amongst you. Rashi says I will walk amongst you in the Garden of Eden like one of you. You will not be shaking. You will not be in a state of trepidation from me. In other words, you'll still be have a fear of God, but you won't be in trepidation. And the question is, what's Rashi talking about? We're talking about Eretz Israel. Why is he talking about Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden? Now there obviously is a textual link here. The phrase here is, And the last place that we have seen God, Mithalech, is actually in the Garden of Eden, where we're told there, um, in the story of uh, of Chet Adam Chava, that we're told that Hashem walks through the Garden of Eden. Um, God is not Holech, he is Mithalech Began Eden. But what exactly is this connection between the Garden of Eden? Now, I wouldn't necessarily draw on this if it wasn't that there are other people who seem to make similar comments and uh, here I'm going to relate to a a strange reading, very strange reading but an amazing one of the Ramban and the Ramban um, is commenting on this uh, interesting um, blessing of the wild animals, we're told that uh, one of the blessings, Pasuk Vav is Vishvati Chayara Amin Haaretz that I will remove wild animals from the land. And uh, in trying to find the wild animals, uh, define the wild animals, 
um, the Ramban relates to a machloka and an argument in the Sifre. And he says that there's one opinion, which is Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says that wild animals, vicious animals, I don't know, bears, lions, will not enter into the land. In other words, uh, and the way the Ramban explains it, is that as the population expands, as population centers grow, as the frontiers of civilization um, expand, the wild animals uh, will be either hunted or whatever it is, and they're pushed back into the desert. I think even in today's Israel, there is, uh, I think, one leopard left who is uh, spotted once in a while in the Negev or in the Engedi area. Everybody's always wondering, you know, this is the last leopard, uh, the last wild animal in the in the land of Israel. Um, so that's the plain reading, I think. Uh, even the Ramban himself says this is the pshat, that uh, I will remove the wild animals from the land, means that uh, slowly you'll push back the frontiers of the, the wilds, and you will have more room to have a um, peaceful, um, civilized uh, living space. But the Ramban then sort of develops the alternative opinion, not Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, but Rabbi Shimon's opinion. And Rabbi Shimon says an amazing thing. He says, and I'll read to you a couple of lines from the Ramban. The Ramban says, uh, this is the, the language of the Ramban. He says, Aldat Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon's opinion says, Mashbitam shelo yaziku. That it's not that God will remove wild animals. There still will be lions and tigers and bears. But God will change their nature that they shouldn't harm you. Um, in other words, not vishpati chaya min haaretz, but vishpati ra'at hachayot min haaretz. Now the the violence of the animals will be removed from the land. And here the Ramban says, v'hunachon, and that is correct. Ki eretz Yisrael be'it kiyum ha-mitzvot. Because eretz Yisrael, when we keep the mitzvot, will be it will be like the world before the sin of Adam. No animal or no creature will kill human beings. As it says, and he quotes the Gemara in Brachot, it is not the serpent which kills, and it's interesting that he's using the metaphor of the snake, it is not the snake that kills, but it is sin which kills. And he says... Obviously, what is the proof of this? The proof of this is the famous Psukim in Yeshayahu, chapter 11, that the wolf will lie down with the lamb, etc., uh, etc. Et um, this is a very daring reading by the Ramban, and this spells out a very radically different perception of the Brachot passage, and really of all, all Jewish history. The Ramban is telling us that we can actually go back to a pre-sin state, catapult ourselves to the pre-sin world of the Garden of Eden, where man and beasts can live in harmonious coexistence. Um, in other words, I should put it slightly differently, Eretz Yisrael, this is exactly what the Ramban says, the world of the blessings is the Garden of Eden with all its associated uh, brachot, and God's intense presence and closeness which we see in Eretz Yisrael um, is is exactly the the reflection of what we see with Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden. Now, let me try and explain, uh, try and put this in a certain context, and uh, see if we can put things together here. The Torah begins with a very interesting paradigm 
we start off the Torah, six days of creation, seventh day Shabbat, and then we start talking about uh, the Garden of Eden. And we have a man, and his name is Adam. And Adam comes from Adama. And every time Adam sins, he is exiled from the Adama. He is distanced from his origins, he is distanced from his his Adama, which is really his source, his self. Very interestingly, uh, in the curses to Adam, what does it say there? Um, we're told, Arur Kishamata Lekolishtecha Vatochal Mina Eitz, Aruraha Adama Bavarecha, the land is cursed. And we know that what we experienced after that was a case of exile, um, exile from the land. In the next story, chapter 4 of Bereshit, uh, the same thing happens. Um, Cain sins, Cain kills his brother Hevel, and him too. Aror atamina Adama, you are cursed from the Adama. And probably the ultimate uh, curse from the Adama is the whole generation of the flood, where uh, God regrets um, that he created man, and he says, Adama. I will wipe out man that I created from the face of the Adama. Adam and Adama have this, uh, every time we sin, we are estranged further and further from the Adama, from the earth, until eventually humankind is almost completely annihilated by God in the flood, until man bounces back. And when Noach comes out the out of the Teva, out of the ark, God makes a statement which says that this relationship between Adam and Adama is going to be broken, and in Perak, Chet of Reshit, God says, after the, the great flood, and after Noah brings his sacrifice, God says, I am breaking this uh, link. When man sins, I will not curse the earth anymore. There won't be this intense res- response when people sin. I won't be exiling you every time you do a major, a, a major misdemeanor. Humankind will live along in its own in its own way, and whatever I punish, I'll punish, or whatever it will be. But and that would seem to be the case of the world. We don't see people, even uh, awful, evil nations, don't necessarily lose their countries. You know, sometimes evil regimes continue for many decades, if not many centuries, and the world continues, and that's the way it works. But there's one place in which that is different, and that is Eretz Yisrael. And we all know our second paragraph of the Shema, that if we listen to God, then we will get, uh, like, almost like what we hear in the, in the, in the Tokacha this week, that if we listen to God, then we will, uh, then the land will give its, its produce. But uh, we all remember what the world will be like, that if... Uh, um, in other words, in Eretz Yisrael, the land, Adama, will not give its produce. The Adama, man, and the land are, the linkage is renewed. Eretz Yisrael is a particular land which reflects Gan Eden to the degree that it is sensitive to sin. It is highly sensitive. And therefore, if we sin on this land, the land will not tolerate 
our, our, our actions, our negative actions. Now this relates both in terms of the sin and in terms of the blessing. If you think about the curses of Gan Eden, the curses of Gan Eden re- related to the difficulty of childbirth or childbearing um, and the difficulty of agriculture. Look at the blessings in our Parsha. What are the blessings in our Parsha? The blessings in our Parsha state that what will become easier um, that you will be easier. It will be easier to to have children. Notice the reflection of Peru Uruvu here, where it says here in Pasuk That's the derivative of Peru I will make you, multiply you, and I will make you numerous. Peru now is back. If we keep the mitzvot in Eretz Israel, Peru will work. And more than that, the land will produce. Um, beautiful crops. In other words, the curse of the curse of of the land will be revoked, will be reversed, and now we can live in Eretz Israel, a place where God is manifest. Where we find ourselves actually back in the Garden of Eden. In some sense, the we find ourselves right back where we began. So, what we can see here is is quite a. The, Rashi and Ramban's comments have alerted us to something which is a remarkable reflection, where we can actually see the end of Sefer Bayikra almost as closing a circle, which began all the way back in, in the beginning of Sefer Breshit. Sefer Breshit began a story about uh, about a, a man and a woman in the Garden of Eden who were exiled because of their sin, and the end of Bayikra, where we reach almost the end of the giving of the Torah, so to speak, the end of the giving of uh, of our code of law, because uh, it's interesting that Sefer Vayikra ends. If you look at uh, the end of Sefer Vayikra and the end of our uh, the end of our, our parsha, uh, we see here um, the following lines: These are the laws and the statutes, etc., that we were given at Har uh, Sinai by Moshe. Or the last line of the parasha, This is almost the end of the giving of the law. Um, in other words, the, the Torah begins with, 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 with the setting up a paradigm where man can have closeness to God. Man, God creates a world for man. Man sins and is exiled, but it gives us a mode of, of coming back. Of coming back to Eretz Israel, which is a reflection on a national scale of being back in Gan Eden. Now, as we close Sefer Vayikra, we should realize that this is actually uh, uh, frames the latter half of Sefer Vayikra. We frequently, if you ask some people what is Vayikra about, they will tell you it's all about uh, all about the Mishkan, it's all about Korbanot. But that is not true. That is only the first section. And if I can return to the writings of Rav David Svi Hoffman, Rav David Svi Hoffman says that actually Vayikra is divided into two sections. The first section, chapter 1 to 16, or 1 to 17, is about Kedusha. Mamlechet Kohanim, he calls it. Kedusha within the Mishkan. It's divided into the world of the Mishkan and its sacrifices, and to questions of Tumantara, which govern access to the Mishkan. The laws of purity, because if you're impure, you can't enter the Mishkan. But the latter starts, the latter um, chapters of uh, Sefer Vayikra, the last ten chapters, actually deal with Kedusha, with sanctity outside the Mishkan, sanctity in the land, and therefore 
we describe the Chagim, uh, the festivals, the Kedushat Hazman, we describe so many different aspects of the world outside the Mishkan, including what we studied last week about, uh, you know, the economy. The economy, the fields, how do you create Kedushat Aretz, the Shemitah, the, the Yovel, which is also based on a seventh cycle, just like Briyat Olam. The Tochacha in this regard is the closing of a circle, not only of Bereshit, but it's the closing of the circle of the second half of Sefer Vayikra. And I'd like to remind you how the second half of Sefer Vayikra began. It was in chapter 18. And in Parakut Chet of Sefer Vayikra, we saw exactly the same theme. We saw a list of forbidden sexual relationships, incestual relationships, and we're told the following. Um, do not... Defile yourselves with these things. Because the nations who were here, who are dispossessing from before you, defiled themselves through these laws. And the land was defiled, and I visited my sin upon it, and the land spat its inhabitants out. And you should keep my statues and my laws, and don't do any of these abominations. You, the citizen and the stranger who lives within you, because all of these abominations, the inhabitants of the land who were here before you, they performed these acts, and the land was defiled. And let the land not spew you out when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations who were here before you. Chapter 18. This is the theme of chapter 18. This is the theme of chapter 26. The Torah in the end of Sefer Vayikra, describes an Eretz Yisrael which has the potential of being a Garden of Eden. It has the potential of being perfection. God is willing to roll back the curses of the Garden of Eden and to give us uh, his bountiful blessing in the land, his closeness, the sense that we will not be scared of God, we will not be in trepidation of God, we can have an association with God. However, we have to learn that we have to have a certain code of law. In Bechukotai Telechu, we have to keep the laws. And in that case, God will bring us back, back to the Garden of Eden. This is incredible and astounding potential that we can find the road back to the Garden of Eden. If we fail, the disaster is devastating. But if we succeed, we hold the keys to the keys to paradise. And that is quite something. Wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you very much for listening.